0: Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. You see, the way that God revealed himself in the Old Testament was with this phrase, I am that I am. This was given to Moses when Moses asked God at the burning bush, whom shall I say sent me To Pharaoh. Whom shall I tell the nation of Egypt that you need to let God's people go? Whom shall I say sent me? And God simply said, tell them I am that I am. God, I need provision. I am. God, I need healing in my body. God says, I am. God, I need some kind of uh, mental uh, relief for the strain and the stress and the turmoil that's in my head. God says, I am. I am that I am. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the all in all. Jesus then declares, I am, dot, dot, dot. And then he begins to illustrate for us and tell us some of those things that he truly is. Seven times in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus use a variation of this phrase, and it really shocked the hearers, because in their minds, when Jesus would say, I am, and then he would add a phrase to it, what they were seeing and hearing in their first century ears was that Jesus had now put himself on par with God. They recognized that I am was the name, the the official uh, representation of God of the Old Testament. And so when Jesus said I am, it really perked up their ears, their spiritual antennas you could say raised, because now they wanted to know who is this guy that now says that he is on par with God. And Jesus began to elaborate on this phrase time and again. In John chapter 6, we're going to look at the text where Jesus says, I am the bread of life today. But before we do that, you need to know that the the prior uh, event that just took place before Jesus declares this is that there was a feeding of 5,000. We know this as the five loaves and the two fish. When Jesus was with his disciples and a great crowd had gathered and the people had been there so long, the disciples came and said, Jesus, what are we going to do? All the people are hungry. Should we send them into the town and and let them go eat or what are we going to do? And Jesus said, well, that's going to be hard because it's late and it's, it's really too far of a journey. Why don't you just feed them? And the disciples would have looked back to Jesus and said, okay, there are 5,000 men, not including women and children, so it could have been up to 15,000 people are on this mountainside, they're at a Jesus conference, and there's no food. I've been to a lot of conferences, and there's always some good Christian chicken at a Christian conference, as long as it's not Sunday, because they're closed on Sunday, but it usually is not Sunday. (laughs) So Jesus' disciples said, what are we going to do? And he said, why don't you feed them? And they said, but Jesus, we don't have even enough money to, to go and buy for a quarter of this crowd. And Jesus said, okay, but what do you have? And this is the, the sentinel question God asks us when we go before God with our lack When we try to debate with God what we can't do, this goes all the way back to the Moses story. Moses said, God, I don't have this and I don't have speech and I stutter and I don't have a good education and I'm just not really sure how that I can go to these people. And every time that Moses would give an objection to something he didn't have, God would say, well, I'm gonna provide this and I'm gonna provide that and I'm gonna supply there. And so Jesus now, before he declares that he is the bread of life, he asked the disciples, what do you have? They said, well, we have five loaves, and two fish a little boy's lunch is basically all we have and so we know the story that Jesus had them sit down in groups and he began to break it and bless it which is also a little bit of a thread that you can pull into the communion supper he began to bless it and he broke the bread and they began to serve it and they served it and they served it and they and, and it never ran out and there was enough food that they even took up baskets full afterwards there were fragments enough that they could take up more afterwards. And so Jesus declares in John 6 and 28, right after this event, they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in whom He sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that they may see it and believe you? What work? will you do? Keep in in mind this this works mode, this mindset of what must I do? And you need to recall that you are not a human doing, you are a human being. We're going to see this in this text right here, that their their work mindset is, okay, what do I have to labor in order to earn the work of God, the, the reward of God? Verse 31, they said, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The very next verse, they said, Jesus, give us this bread. We want it always. We want this bread all the time. And what they were talking about and referencing was the bread that he had just broken The the miracle that he had just performed, feeding all these people with bread. Now, you have to understand in a a first century mindset, in ancient culture, uh, bread was sustenance. Many meals that they would have was basically comprised of bread and maybe water or wine, something to drink with the bread. Bread wasn't to them what it is to us. You know, bread is just kind of like a byproduct. It's what we put on the top and the bottom of our real meat. You know, bread to them was food because they ate to live, they didn't live to eat. It wasn't uh, this, this easy notion of just going out and always having a great delicacy to eat, but bread was something vital to their diet. It was so important that they could s- exist on bread and, and just a little bit of drink. And so they wanted this bread and they wanted it always. And the people, they were impressed with the miracle, and so they were asking about the works of God. Manna in the wilderness... Jesus uses this, this picture to link what he is about to declare. Manna simply means, what is it? In, in the wilderness of, of uh, wanderings of God's people, they were fed with manna from heaven every single day. For six days, it would rain down manna. They would wake up in the morning, and this would be what they would see on the ground. It kind of looked like snow. Manna was these small little coriander seeds. They were very small and uh, sweet to the taste. And the Bible tells us that for six days of the week, manna would fall. Every single day, they would go out and they would get their provision of manna. But they were told, never, ever store it for the next day. Only get as much as you and your family need for today. And then tomorrow, there'll be a fresh supply. But on the the day before Sabbath, their Sabbath was Saturday. So on Friday, you could go and you could collect double for that day only because on the Sabbath, there was no manna that would fall. So you would have to have enough provision. This takes us back in our mind to another fam- familiar teaching of Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily In other words, Father God, sustain us today. Give us the provision we need for today. Help us not to get so out in the future, looking so far ahead and borrowing troubles for tomorrow and worrying about what's going to be. But this day is the day we're promised. We are not promised tomorrow. So this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice in this day and be glad in it. Give us this day our provision. God, provide for me today. And Jesus tells them, that this is the kind of scenario God wanted is total reliance and dependence upon him for every need and every provision. See, Christianity is not a religion. It is not a a, a mindset or a concept of independence. And Christianity is not a religion anyway. Christianity is a relationship with the eternal God who daily loads us with benefits and gives us what we need today. It is a God of provision. We serve a God of provision. And so when they asked for this, this bread always, they were talking about the physical. They wanted to eat. They wanted to make sure that they had a meal that they could fill their belly. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever longed for something, yet after getting it, when you've obtained it, it really didn't satisfy I think we have all gone through an experience of, of longing for something to happen, a, a benchmark, a milestone, crossing that line, maybe getting to the, the level that we had, have dreamed about and it, it anticipated, but when we finally get there, somehow it doesn't really satisfy. This happens all the time for me with technology. I love new technologies and, and how the, the latest and greatest gadget can always enhance your life and make everything so wonderful, right? And then when you get that new gadget in your hand and it gets the first scratch and you, you have now fingerprints all over it and now that six months later, there's a newer, greater, bester version, a better and bester version that always comes out that you have to have, you have to buy, trade in your old one. You realize it doesn't ever truly satisfy. Maybe temporarily, but it doesn't truly satisfy. Jesus says in John 6 and 35, 6-35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. You're asking for bread. I am the bread in which you seek. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Hunger and thirst. Everybody say hunger and thirst. Amen. We'll come back to that. Verse 36. But I say to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. And this is a challenging, probing, deep-hearted question and even statement that Jesus is just going to set out there for them to ponder. Because built into the human experience, the the Ecclesiastes writer says like this, that God has planted eternity in our heart. In other words, we understand at a very intuitive and almost innate level that we were made for more. That this life is not all there is. We understand because of our yearnings and because of our pursuits and because our desires that there are things that we want. There are things that our heart goes after. There are things that we seek that are not of this world. They are otherworldly. Where did that come from? Why do we have that? There is this pursuit of God that is innate. It's on the inside of every one of us. You can go to any ancient culture. You can go to the Aztecs, you can go to the Incas, the Mayans, you can go to the Native American Indians, you can go to the ancient Egyptians, and you will find that every culture has some kind of deity, has some kind of pursuit for the otherworldly, the afterlife. There is something in the human heart that desires for more. And if we will find the words of Jesus to be satisfying, if we will find, if we will see and believe what he has come to say, that he is the bread of life, then there will be this satisfaction that our heart can be content. That doesn't mean that you'll have every whim and wish that you have ever dreamed up. It doesn't mean that that everything in your life will always turn out perfect, but there is in the inside, there is this anchor for your soul. You get satisfied vertically with God. Only, that's the only place. Yet we look around and we ourselves can testify that in all of our horizontal pursuits for entertainment, for love, for acceptance, for belonging, for all the things that we try horizontally to fill, they're only temporary at best. They will never truly satisfy like Jesus. And he says, I am the bread of life. You thirsty, come. You hungry, I have food. In verse 37 says this, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Here's what this verse means to me. Jesus is for the outcast. Maybe you feel a little bit out of step. Maybe you feel a little bit out of place. Maybe you've not always fit in in life. I wanna tell you today with a bold gospel declaration, Jesus is for you. Jesus is for the outcast the ones that are just a little bit out of step the ones that are just a little bit different than the norm you don't maybe make friends like everybody else seem to make friends with jesus is for the outcast. You weren't raised in a religious home. Jesus is for the outcast. You weren't raised with a background of faith and heritage of people who love God and would point you towards the cross. Jesus is for the outcast. You used to have a relationship with God, but you have wandered. You have walked away from the faith that you once knew and you no longer feel warmed by the presence of God. Jesus is for the outcast. He says, All who the Father have given to me, they'll come to me and I will not lose any of them. You know what God does with those that seem to spurn His grace? You know what God does with those that seem to live as though there is no God? You know what God does with those that that they have heard the gospel message once and twice and over again? You know what God does? He gives more mercy, He gives more grace. Our God is rich. You know how? In mercy. He's rich in mercy. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. I don't know about you, but I didn't accept the gospel the first time I heard it or probably the the fifth or the 10th or the 15th. But I thank God that this book tells us that we serve a God of not just second chances, but hundredth chances. We serve a God who is rich and abundant in mercy and grace. And far be it for me to look down my nose as someone who is yet to say yes to the claims of Christ because God is chipping away at that hard and rough exterior. God is chipping away at that heart of stone and wanting to give us a heart of flesh whereby he may write his word and his laws on our heart that we no longer have to go by the dictates of a, a, a commandment written and chiseled in stone because God has spoken to us in our hearts and revealed to us the words of life through Jesus. He said, all that come to me, that the Father gives, I will by no means cast out. Verse 49. This tells us that the world is, is full of temporary fixes. It says this, your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now he starts to align this ancient practice of collecting of manna that was only in the wilderness wanderings. It was there for a 40-year season and past. Something that was folklore to them, but was very real to their ancestors. Now he's aligning these two stories, and he is becoming the linchpin of this modern story. And he's talking again about hunger and thirst. You see, in ancient days, food and water were not so easy to come by as it is for us today. In ancient times, uh, taking care of your physical needs was something that you would have to endure all day long. And you'd have to always be seeking and gathering and trying to find how am I going to get to the next well to to get some water? I sure hope that that well isn't clogged up, and I I sure hope it's not contaminated. And and where am I going to get the grain and press the grain and, and make the bread? And so when Jesus is referring to hunger and thirst, they're thinking of it in the natural realm, and that's okay because he just provided for them through the fish and the loaves a meal. So naturally, Jesus is using an illustration to give a revelation. And here's what God often does in our lives. We wonder why something external happens to us. We wonder why we were just delayed five minutes and then we come up on an accident scene and realize, oh, God was pretty good. We wonder why that things don't turn out maybe the way that we've prayed for them and God is using and maneuvering and bringing things to pass into fruition so that we can understand that there is a illustration for a revelation. There is something very real in the bread and the, fish that Jesus wants to reveal to them about his own body. And we can fill ourselves with quick and easy solutions. We can munch on some munchies or some junk food, and we can get full for a while. It can fill the void, and our hunger will subside. But over time, if all we're ever doing is we're munching on munchies, and we're taking in a sugar diet, and we're always looking for something to, quick fill, throw in the microwave, it will deteriorate our body. Why? Because it's processed. It's not whole, it's not natural, it's not the real thing. I know there's been some times that after working or or expending a lot of energy that uh, you could lay out a smorgasbord of the finest candy in front of me, but that's not what I desire, that's not what I want. I want something of sustenance, I want something that satisfies. And after you've seen all that the world has to offer, it starts to look a little dull, doesn't it? it starts to pale in comparison to the real bread of life. C.S. Lewis said this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. That's us. That's our human experience. That is our condition. We fool around with all kinds of things horizontally that we think will satisfy us, but it's nothing more than reaching out for a candy bar. It's nothing more than a quick fix. It will fill the void temporarily, but you'll get bloated, you'll get hungry again, there'll be something about it that quickly wears off, you'll get lethargic, you won't feel good afterwards. But infinite joy, the bread of life, Jesus himself, the great I am, that is what truly satisfies I think of the woman at the well, when Jesus referenced the water that was down in that well. And Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to use this illustration for a revelation. I'm going to illustrate with the water that she's bringing up in that pail from deep down in that well, that if you drink of this water in the well, you will thirst again. Jesus used the illustration that he had right there, the well. He uses whatever illustration in your life that he has, whatever you're gonna give him as the raw building material, he'll illustrate something for you only to give you a revelation. Then he tells this woman, but if you drink of the water that I have to offer, you will never thirst again. That revelation grabbed her so deep in her spirit and so deep in her heart that she dropped the pail, the physical sustenance, the water that she had just drawn and ran into the village and told everyone she could talk to about this man at the well. And when you get an aha moment, when you get a revelation from God, when something like a firework explodes in your heart and you say, that's what I've always longed for. That's what I've been waiting for. Now you have a revelation and you go and tell someone. You can't help but to tell someone about God. You wanna tell someone what God has done for you. You know, this Christian life is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where they can go to find some bread. And I want to be able to tell someone, come to the house of God, Bethel, come to the house of God. You can find bread amongst the people of God, but you don't have to come to church to find bread because we are empowered by God's spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. So does. Does that show us something? Yes, it is a revelation that we can offer this life-giving water, the bread of life to someone just by simply testifying what God has done for us, telling them and publishing for them the good news of his message of salvation. Now, as we get into this next part of the story, this is where it gets a little bit difficult. This is where... The ideal, the ideal being, oh, people have eaten of the fish and loaves. They've now heard Jesus say he's the bread of life. They're all going to accept this and become evangelists. This is where the ideal gets very real. You know, ideally, people would see the change in us and they would quickly come and ask us, about our faith and want to know how that we're doing that and, and you know, just really be enamored and, and thrilled that we found this new life. But really what happens many times is that when you have said yes to the claims of Christ, when you've turned your back on the things of the world, many times in the real, what happens is you end up being laughed at, mocked, ridiculed. Anybody ever been misunderstood? Marginalized. Maligned, laughed at, made fun of, kicked out of the crowd, no longer in the in group. And this happened to Jesus. The ideal goes very real. John 6 and 40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. That sounds pretty good, but verse 61 says When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Does this offend you? The conversation that Jesus was having was good as long as it was about bread, it was, it was good as long as they, he was giving them fish and loaves and breaking it and doing miracles and doing works. And they wanted to know, what can we do to do the works of God? How how can we earn this entrance into God's favor? And Jesus is saying, there's there's only one work. And the work is not labor as you have always labored. The work is belief. There's only one thing you must do to do the work of God. And that is that you see him and believe. He goes on and he says this very difficult... uh, kind of an illustration that scholars have grappled with. And Jesus says this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. You can have no part with me. And they thought Jesus was talking about cannibalism. They thought, Jesus, how can he say such a thing? And that's why he asked them, does this offend you? Jesus was not physically talking about his flesh and blood, but he's talking about the spirit, which brings life. Because he says, the flesh profits nothing but he's setting them up for what's going to happen in just about a week later when he goes to this upper room and he has a meal with his disciples and he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood in the new covenant. He takes the bread, he says, this bread is my flesh and my body in the new covenant, my body which is broken for you. It's not that the communion meal turns physically into Jesus' body. I know some have purported that, it's not that. But there is something that happens There is a spiritual presence. There is a acknowledgement that God is real in that meal and that by receiving of that, I say yes to the claims of Christ on my life and yes to the family of God. So I wanna ask you, do you see him or does this offend you? Do the words of Jesus offend you? Does the call of God to depart from the life of waywardness and wickedness offend you, or do you see him? Some people aren't ready to hear. Some people aren't ready to receive. Does that mean we stop scattering seed? Does that mean we stop planting in the field? No. We just plant and go on. We water and go on. Some plant, some water. God gives the increase. I don't know when someone's heart is ripe. I don't know when someone is ready. The Holy Spirit does. And so I continue to do the works of God, which is believe. it's not doing. We, we get caught up in this, this mindset that we work 40 hours for a wage and so on Friday we expect our paycheck. That's not how it worked in the kingdom of God. The work of God is believing. Believing that what I am sowing, what I am investing, what I'm committing to, every time I sit down and read my word, every time I do a devotion, I may get up and say, "What chapter and verse was I even in?" Because my mind was so wayward, my mind was so well, wandering. People get guilty and they get really uh, down on themselves about not praying enough or not studying enough. And oh, if I could just be spiritual like my Bible school teacher, if I could just be spiritual like the pastor. Listen, there are times when my mind is so busy, I'll sit down, I'll read something, I'll get up and I, what in the world did I just read? I, I don't even know. What read. But I believe that there is something bigger that is happening on the inside that when I digest the Word of God, when it comes onto the inside of me, there is life in the seed. This is the seed of God, the seed of the Word of God. When that seed gets planted in fertile soil, whether I can remember it, whether I can understand it, whether I can recall it or not, God is doing the work. Because I believe. Because I have seen. Every time that you do something in the name of Jesus for the cause of Christ, for the expansion of the kingdom of God. You may not ever get a pat on the back. You may not get an accolade or an award, but if you see him, then you believe that it was done as unto the Lord. And Paul tells us that we should work heartily As unto the Lord. Everything we put our hands to, we should do it as unto the Lord. And the best work, the greatest work, is to believe. It says that many walked away disgusted, disenchanted, and never followed him again. Many walked away and didn't follow Jesus anymore. You know why? Because they were offended. They were offended at what he said. They were looking just at the surface level of what he was bringing. Any of you who have children understand that there are times when you have to bring that corrective tone or you have to bring that no, don't do that, it's going to hurt you kind of instruction. And if they just take it on the surface, then they would conclude, mom and dad just don't want me to have any fun. No, that's not the truth. Mom and dad love you so much, they don't want you to hurt yourself. And so if we just take the words of Jesus on the surface as a killjoy, or he's trying to uh, circumvent us from having fun, then we'll never truly get to the heart of the Father, which is, I know what's best for you. I know what is truly life. Of these seven statements, there are three of them that have the word life in them. And this is the God kind of life, abundant, eternal life. This is what God wants for us not just getting by a normal existence. Some people just exist when they could thrive, when they could have abundant life. So I ask you today, do you see him or does this offend you? I wanna close with this. Jesus' exclusivity in his direct language was and is still offensive to many. Why? Here's why. Because there is no halfway salvation. There is no partial I have my foot in the church and I have my foot in the world. That's very uncomfortable. There is no partial acceptance. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He is everything. And the call to come, drink from the waters of life freely. It's open. It's offered right now. That call continues even to this day. With heads bowed and no one looking around, just between you and God, I wonder today how many would say, I see Jesus. I really do believe. And I want to get over that offense. I want to get to the place of truly having the revelation From the illustration, I want to get beyond just the fish and the loaves, and I want to know this abundant life, this real life with Jesus.